Welcome to What Comes Around. My name is Jay, and I'm going to talk to friends and acquaintances about their experiences in the bedroom, out of the bedroom and beyond. This material is for adult ears, so let's be cool. This is the first episode of the What Comes Around podcast. It features the incomparable D.N. Sterzo. I met D.N. through a mutual friend of ours and have since then hit it off. D.N. and I share very similar spiritual and cultural backgrounds, yet D.N. spent half of his life in East Asia, whereas I spent all of my life in the Pacific Northwest. Because of this difference, we tend to be able to relate to each other, I think, much better than most people do. He almost feels like a brother to me. Unfortunately, there was a technical error, or technical difficulties, I should say, at the beginning of this episode that explained what I just explained. Uh, Because of that, we kind of leave off where I'm talking about something that I believed Christians could experience, but not other people that were not Christian. So we were just talking about how, like, uh, I... I grew up in like a fairly conservative Christian area. I had this pretty constant like background of faith and family as my base too until I was about 13. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that there was something more to it than just what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was starting to see more and more people where I was like, wait a second, this person is like, not what I consider someone who's going to go to heaven per se. Like, I think they're probably going to go to hell, but they're really nice. They're like, they're like kind people who seem to understand what it means to be good. And so Uh um, that was another part of like this whole purity culture that was being forced on me was I was also seeing this other part of people that weren't what I would consider to be pure, but are living really good and joyful lives. Mm-hmm. And so there was not only this acknowledgement of, oh, wait a second, you can have joy and not be pure. Mm-hmm. And you At least can, not be pure according to the definition. Right, exactly. That you inherited. And you can love people without it being like sexual. Yeah, yeah. And you can have like an intimate relationship with someone of the opposite sex without it being anything about sex, like at all. Um, and so, so for me, like all of that coming together of like my adolescence, discovering what sex is, discovering the beauty of a woman, but also discovering that that's not all that women were. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is that purity culture made me think that that's all that women were Mm. was just objects. They're just things to look at, to lust over. Um, They're not other human beings with probably the same emotional and spiritual confusion that you're having, you know? And so it was like this whole, this, this new mindset that I discovered was that, Oh yeah. People that are not boys can understand my emotions just the same as boys have or boys can. Like I realized that we were all like sort of part of the same family of something. 
Uh-huh. And I, and it, and the whole like idea of, oh, we're a family of God just started to not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, that feels because to me, the family of God was like this purity idea of this group of people that only believed what God believed and were pure and innocent and mm-hmm. never did anything mm-hmm. wrong. And so yeah. for me, like saying a family of God, that didn't make sense. Cause I was like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. We don't do anything wrong. I'm just trying to say that I want to live in an environment where you can do something wrong mm-hmm. and you're going to be forgiven for doing it. Like someone's going to be like, hey, you fucked up, but that's fine because like we all do it. It seems it feels very counterintuitive, right? Because that at least what I'm hearing and what you said is that purity culture, it, it, it tries to preserve, I mean, <laughs> the very notion of purity is, you know, that uh, it's like untainted. Something is untainted. Um, and I guess the idea that uh, if a person is pure, then they're untainted. But the it sounds like it was because of those notions, it actually made it more difficult to view women or people of opposite uh, people who weren't male, I guess, in, in within the context of conservative Christian culture. Yeah, the only other gender is female. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it made it made it harder to relate to them as. Uh, at least on an emotional level and it, 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 okay, here it is. Here it is. So I guess the, the thing that feels counterintuitive is that purity culture is trying to drive, uh, drive people away from sexualization or just sex it's, in general. But it's, you mentioned that the growing up in purity culture led you to see women more as sexual objects. Is that, is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. It was so purity culture took away purity and replaced it with like, um, the, the focus of being imperfect. So, mm-hmm. so purity culture in itself actually brought out more impurity than purity because it's just because it's focused on being perfect. It's focused Uh on something that's completely unattainable by humans. Right. Um, If if, at least that's, if you believe in Christianity, Mm -hmm. Um, if you believe in God or if you believe in like the Christian faith, the, the base belief is only God is good and humans are sinful. And so the only way to be perfect is by completely accepting God, not because you become perfect, but because his, or because your imperfection creates his perfectness. Because mm. whenever you fuck up, you realize, oh, gee, there's someone that's bigger than me that can do this instead. Like mm-hmm. you have someone that's constantly there to take, to take over for you. Right. Which is really like, it's a very almost egocentric faith in a way because 
you can make it all about yourself feeling better about yourself because mm-hmm. someone yeah. someone is there to always make you feel better. Right. And so you can do whatever the heck you want because you're you know that someone is going to take over for your error. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the the question and the conundrum that they had in the early church was wait a second if God can forgive us for everything that we've done, why shouldn't we just live more hedonistically because mm-hmm. he's going to forgive us even more, which just makes right. him more powerful mm-hmm. and more perfect. Right. But right. the other yeah, thing yeah. is, wait a second, but we're not supposed to be like sinning. Like uh, that's supposed to be the old self. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's this conundrum between when we sin, we make God greater or at least he we we have a greater view of God when we sin, but we should appreciate his sacrifice by not sinning. Mm, yeah. And Isn't that's, that in Paul? Paul I think so. I think it's like something. Corinthians or something like, or Galatians maybe, but it's, yeah. um, Let me it's this, it's this strange conundrum because it's, it's like a dichotomy. The, mm-hmm. or I think that's the phrase, the term, um, Something about, it's like, uh, so should we sin more to increase um, the, uh, like the difference between us and God, therefore making God more perfect in our eyes or something like that, right? Right, exactly. Something like that. Yeah, so it's a dichotomy. Grouping mammals by those that live on land and those that live in water. It's uh, definitely sharp divisions of things or ideas into two contradictory parts. Yeah, so it's, it is a dichotomy of sorts because it's this idea mm-hmm. of uh, making mistakes to make God look more perfect, but not making mistakes because God is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very... It's the two extremes at the opposite. Yeah, the exactly. opposite ends of That's, the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, growing up for me anyway, this is sort of a change in in direction. But uh, growing up under very very Christian um, environment, specifically my high school, uh, it was it was a school founded international school founded for missionaries kids. I, I myself am not a missionary kid, even though my parents are Christian are pretty devout and did see their work in the nonprofit sector as an expression of their faith. Um, I did go to a, like a missionary kids school. And so, you know, we had Bible classes and everything. And um, I, I think personally, because I moved a lot and there was, you know, um, not a lot of, I didn't have a lot of stability in environment as I moved between different cultures and locations. 
And um, like you mentioned before, the main constants in my life growing up were my parents, my family, and Christianity. Um, so growing up in that environment, I I uh, I just soaked it up, man. I like I it was it was great to feel like there was something solid outside of me that I could stand on. I guess uh, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally. Um, and, uh, everything, but physically. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I, (laughs) it's been, it's been some years and, uh, I've spent a lot of time in very different, um, I guess ideologies and thought spaces, but, uh, man, like I used to be, you know, someone said something I could, I could pull up a Bible verse, like within minutes of like, Oh yeah, this is what this is. Um, this connects to what you're saying or something like that. Or if someone was trying to remember some verse somewhere, there's a good chance I was, I would be able to find it. <laughs> oh, so, so you, let's you see if found, there. You, you found comfort in, uh, being able to explain your faith to other people. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think because usually through scripture, because scripture was the, the one thing that you knew was a hundred percent true. Right. Within, yeah. Within the framework I grew up in. Yeah. That, that was the, the Bible is the truth. And so, um, that was the thing I could look to for comfort. And it did, certainly provided genuine comfort and healing. I just think that as I learned more in college, which seems to be a very common theme among many people today, as I learned more in college (coughs) about just people's experiences that were beyond mine, outside of my own, uh, it just, it was clear that the ideology and the faith that I put so much stock in was just not expansive enough to include the things that I was learning. And, um, yeah. You, you listened to the lost years podcast, right? With Rhett and Link. No, actually, no, I didn't. Um, Oh, okay. Um, so it's like on ear biscuits, you can check them out anywhere that they stream podcasts. Okay. So, but anyway, so Rhett, uh, mm-hmm. he, he had a podcast recently that I watched just a clip of, and he talks mm-hmm. about how Christians, young Christians are still leaving the church rapidly, which mm-hmm. has been a problem for like the past 10 years, probably, I think. Mm-hmm. And his reasoning behind it is not that, the, not that Christians are doing anything wrong in raising their children. Mm. It's that they're raising them correctly. And what's happening is kids are learning what it truly means to be a Christian, I think. And they're seeing that the church is not that anymore. Uh, They're so focused on politics and forcing Mm -hmm. religion instead instead of doing what Christians are supposed to do, which is essentially being good Samaritans and letting their letting their work speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
So you have this situation where young Christians are leaving the church because they realize that the church is no longer Christian. It, yeah, at least yeah. it's not it's not the Christian that you thought was Christianity, and that you thought your up. parents thought mm-hmm. were Christianity too. Yeah, it doesn't live up to the values that you were that that we were taught were um, were central to Christianity and or Jesus's message and life. Yeah, I hundred percent agree, and and so I relate to that very well because mm-hmm. I feel like that's what's happened to me over the past probably five years, I would say at least Mm -hmm. where I saw what I knew I believed in and I didn't see it with my parents as much. And as the years went on, I saw it less and less with my parents. We left the home church Mm -hmm. and we started going to a church that I think was also dying, what you would describe as dying. So Mm -hmm. it went from being like a, probably 150 person attendance to when we started going there was maybe 65. And as Mm -hmm. those like two or three years went by, it also went down to like 30 people. And so what I was realizing was that the faith that my parents were starting to cling on to First of all, was not the same thing that they started believing when they were first Christians. Okay. And it wasn't something that was growing. So whatever they were believing was a dying thought in the church. Interesting. Whatever they were uh, whatever they were living by, you're saying? Whatever they were grasping onto. Grasping onto was a dying thought in the church. Yeah. Okay. And you saw that mostly through the fact that uh, people were leaving the congregation that you were involved in. Right? Yeah, every congregation that my parents were involved in was getting smaller. Really? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Huh. So I knew at that point that clearly something that my parents were believing in was not what everyone else was. Mm-hmm. And the more that I read, especially like the new Testament, I was really like, there was, there was probably like a year and a half where Mm -hmm. I kept reading like acts, Romans and, um, the Corinthians. Mm -hmm. And I'd like read Colossians every once in a while, but I was like, I was reading those, those books from the early church history. Uh And I was comparing it to what I was seeing in my life. Yeah. With churches. And I realized that I just didn't see it. Yeah. There was this idea, especially that my dad talked about all the time, where the church is supposed to be the charitable organization that Uh takes care of the sick and the homeless and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I realized that no church that I had ever seen or been a part of had really looked like that, except for maybe two or three Um, And I like, my dad was Gideon, so like he went throughout a bunch of churches in the area and would talk Mm -hmm. about Gideons, right? Which is like some like missionary, very like passive, passive uh, teaching missionary group, sort of. They just Mm -hmm. hand out Bibles. That's all they do, really. Um, But they go to like every church for like donations or for whatever, and... 
I realized that all of these churches had the same kind of, they were all pretty consistent in how they operated. Hmm. And the views of outsiders was a big, big key element to whether or not they were a growing church or a dwindling church. And the weird thing was that the people that were, I would say, more outgoing and were just more friendly people were usually part of the smaller churches. Interesting. Yeah. So the bigger churches that were growing and had clear growth were Mm -hmm. much more moderate in their emotion. Hmm. Wait, say more about that. What what do you mean? So like, so they, they didn't experience or didn't tend to experience like true joy or anger or anything. They were just very emotionally moderate. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, but the smaller congregations had more, ex- uh, they had more extreme emotion, extreme. Oh, okay. Extreme uh, or I would say, or I guess intense emotion they did, but they also had much greater belief. Okay. So what that means then is that more extreme ideas tend to go into smaller groups. Hmm. hmm. Um, You don't like extremism is not a American idea. Right. It's Americans like have this, has have the idea of like, things being a melting pot, you know, of things mm-hmm. being all kind of the same. Like they, I want, they want everyone to be equal. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the concept of Americanism mm-hmm. and Christianity doesn't necessarily say everyone should be equal. Although it like the new Testament, I would say definitely pushes for that. Um, right. But more extreme Christians don't like that idea of everyone being necessarily equal because mm-hmm. they do like the idea of being more spiritually safe because of something they believe in. Like, uh, like having hierarchy and sort of, yeah, it's, okay. it's this, it's this really weird thing where it's like Christians get pride from being Christians mm-hmm. where it's like this whole, like, Oh yeah, I'm better than you because I've accepted the truth and you haven't. Mm-hmm. So you actually, you're taking pride in something that should have no pride in it because the basis of Christianity accepts the fact that all humans are terrible, essentially. Like that's, right. that's the basis of Christianity is that everyone is terrible. And so you need a higher power to clean you of that. So mm-hmm. there shouldn't be any pride in Christianity because it's it's impossible to be have pride for it if you think about what it is. Yeah. Because you can't they're like there's no point where you should be proud about being evil. Yeah, it's like uh being proud of the fact that oh, well, we realized uh, we're evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh yeah, we realized that we're so terrible that God decided to kill his own son to make up for how terrible we were. Like, and they don't realize that. So yeah, better than them. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's, you can't be pride, proud about it, but Christians are. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing that scares me. Cause it's like, it's not something to be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's something they go, whoa, like we really screwed up. Like this God person, like if you believe in the Christian God, you have to acknowledge that they're doing something that they have absolutely no reason to do. Yeah. Like there's no reason for God to do any of that. That doesn't make any sense. Because if he's all powerful, why should he care about some group of beings that he created into like just burning and dying? Like why, why does he care? Mm-hmm. Right. Like how small are we in the universe? Exactly. That, yeah. that, uh, that the Christian God created allegedly. <laughs> yeah, I know what. Well, so, so that's the beauty is that like, if you, so my current belief Mm-hmm. which we don't have to get into in depth, but if we're all part of God's family, not the mm-hmm. family of God, but God's family, mm-hmm. uh, then we do have a certain level of love that's given to us because we're part of that family. Yeah. So if we, if we reframe things as, we're spiritually part of the family of God or we're part of God's family, I should say. And I think other creatures are too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, you don't have to like, you don't have to, you could take the pride away from it because you're just acknowledging that you're all sort of like the same thing. Right. Yeah. It seems like what, is happening there with the the pride in being Christian, or I suppose more specifically the pride in having Christian beliefs is that, um, I mean, the message itself is being lost and instead the, what tends to happen with any, any social group is, uh, we, they, here I am using us and they <laughs> us and them language, but um for lack of <laughs> better ways to describe it. Um yeah, well, I guess what happens with when any social group comes together um and for the sake of identity and uh keeping the group together, uh an in group and out group is formed and um it seems like a lot of the modern uh, American church has sort of uh, gotten high on that feeling of of uh, superiority of, of being Christian being Christian yeah um, yeah that's Definitely, I there's a piece there that is missing. But. Yeah. So for me, going back to knowing people that were not Christians but had experienced joy, um, which was something that mm-hmm. for the longest time, until I was probably about thirteen or fourteen, had always thought that that non Christians could never experience joy. Hmm. Wow. That only Christians could do that because only Christians understood what joy really meant. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I. I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I had lost the idea that, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, God made all of us. It's just our choice to accept 
Mm-hmm. So we all have have this ability to be good or to have good in, in us just because of who created us. Mm-hmm. So anyone can experience joy because anyone, right. everyone was created by God. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was yeah, my yeah. first, that was one of the first things when I was much younger, like, you know, 14, 15, where I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. This is very interesting because this means that you don't have to be a Christian to be happy, essentially. Like, people yeah, that are not yeah. Christians can be happy. Right, yeah. Which to me was a big shock. Yeah. And yeah. Um, then when I was, like, in my late teens, I got to know some people that were Buddhist. Mm. And what shocked me with them was how normal they were to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't seem like people that were faking some belief for money yeah. or for attention or anything like that. Uh-huh. They were, they were very humble people. Yeah. Um, well, I, they weren't quiet necessarily about their faith or their belief, but mm-hmm. they weren't loud about it either. Yeah. Um, and they were very loving. Like the, the key characteristic or trait that I would say from all of the experience I've had with people that I knew that were Buddhist was that they all were experiencing and providing love. Love was Mm. the key. Love was the ultimate goal. And you saw it in the way that they acted. Mm. And for me as a Christian, I thought that was very bizarre because once again, I I didn't think that this was possible. I didn't think that you could be someone who loved truly and had joy without being a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Once again. So. Because true love and joy only comes from Christ. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That was the, that's the statement. That's the belief. Yeah. Um, So what was happening was as I was, I would say becoming a man, becoming an adult, Mm -hmm. I had these episodes every few years where things would kind of click and they go, wait a second, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like in, when I was, when I was about 20 or 21, I had another similar situation where I was like, I was at a point in my life where things were really not making any sense at all. And Christianity for sure was like, I don't understand this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Probably from the time, probably from the time I was 21 until last year, I definitely would say I was a Christian, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't, and I haven't viewed Christianity as the church since I was probably about 21. So when I when I meet people that say that they're Christian. I'm immediately skeptical if they're truly what I consider a Christian or if they're what has been developed in the church over the years. I see. Because the church, I would say nowadays is not what I would view as Christian or, or Mm -hmm. true of Christianity. I think it's, it's an amalgamation of Americanism and, and the Judeo Christian faith. Yeah. Mm hmm. With an emphasis on the Judeo part. Hmm. 
Wait, what do you mean by that? Well, because America is very like pro Israel. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro Judaism, you know, for some reason, like I don't, I don't fully understand it. I'm not against it either. I just, it's mm-hmm. just, it's curious to me how it works. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes I, sense for yeah. it makes sense for why it's so supported because I feel like um, Judaism and Jewish culture definitely had to take hold in the U.S. because of primarily because World War II um, and what mm-hmm. the what happened to their entire right. race or species or whatever people you group. want to call them <laughs> people group because yeah. um, they were just annihilated you know and no one cared about them and it's it's very odd to me that that happened and I'm I mean in some respects I think Americans are like we're like the um, anti-bullies, you know, and mm-hmm. the Jewish culture, especially and like the Jewish people were being bullied by almost all of Europe. And so mm-hmm. like, we stepped in and we're like, no, we're not going to do this. And so now we have like this bad rap because we were so anti-bully that we let someone we were protecting actually become powerful again. Mm-hmm. Like Israel's like, a very powerful country in the Middle East. Right. It really, and it has a lot of strength and like it has a ton of intelligence. Like the intelligence community in Israel is insane. Mm. Um, so they have a lot going for them. And so it doesn't seem right that the U S like is supposed to, or it supports it because it's like, well, this is like, they seem like they're bullies because they have way more resources than most people in the Middle East do. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but the U.S. just kind of helped create it because yeah. we supported them enough. Right. And and the U.K. kind of did their part, too, in, like, helping finally, like, unite the Jewish people to Israel again. Uh-huh. Yeah. But then the, uh, the bully cycle continues, and this time with Israel and Palestine or... <laughs> All right, exactly. It's got Palestinians, like, yeah. It's it's a very it's a strange thing to pick sides on because as an American you have to acknowledge excuse me the part that we played mm-hmm. in making Israel uh, like a independent country mm-hmm. without necessarily acknowledging how it's turned out yeah. You know, and it's, and that's the thing is like, when it comes to the United States, should we always be allies with our allies? Or at what point do you say, no, this is no longer right? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, a whole I mean, other discussion though. <laughs> definitely. We're getting into like interventionism. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Globe, globalist policies. Yeah. I definitely think the uh, American, uh, I guess, affinity for Israel is uh, there's definitely a tie to American Christianity there. Christianity there, because of course um, Christianity has its roots in Judaism, and I think definitely like a lot of the uh, 
like a lot of the American fundamentalists and evangelical churches have a strong um, thread of apocalypticism. They put a lot of stock in uh, in the you know end times beliefs and. Oh, prophecies. are you talking about like the whole like idea that if the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, that's like the beginning of the end times? Yeah, I think there's at least that's one piece that's part yeah. of it. I, it's a major part of it. Yeah, yeah. Like um, I think a lot so of they want to protect Israel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, what like they we, want to do is they want to they want to build that stinking temple. <laughs> That's what they want. They because they want the end times to begin. Wait, who specifically? Who's Christians they? do? Christians, mm, yeah. Christians that believe in. The rapture, so that uh-huh. um, I don't remember the term for them, but there's like some Christians that believe that the rapture's already happened or whatever. Uh huh. But people that believe in the rapture, uh-huh. or a lot of Zionists, they're like pushing hard to get the temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem mm-hmm. because they literally believe that that's going to cha- change, like that's going to start the apocalypse. That's what they actually mm-hmm. believe. Yeah. And some people want it done faster than others. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean because if it's fascinating real, man if if that shit is actually real uh-huh. that's it that that is the end of the world yeah <laughs> the beginning of the end yeah gosh that's so scary yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow could you imagine that just like the world ending in flame and brimstone, Yellowstone like erupting, and uh-huh. half the U.S. just blowing off the face of the earth. <laughs> oh boy! If that happens, no, I like mean, it's you- it's been such a long time to be honest since I actually imagined something like that. Um, oh, it's horrifying. Yeah, because it's true. If if Yellowstone erupted, uh huh. Because it's Yellowstone is almost an entire, just a massively large volcano. Or if the fault lines collapsed. Uh-huh. Or if we had like another wildfire or anything like that. Like if any of this shit happens, the world is destroyed. Well, I mean, we're talking about apocalyptic stuff yeah. in regards to religion. But I mean, we got a whole nother element of that with climate change going on exactly. yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean wildfires i mean it's more and more every year it seems like uh-huh. no you're right scary it's very scary man shit man maybe it's real <laughs> <laughs> the fire and brimstone is starting <laughs> uh, probably i mean there's definitely people that believe it is real that's for sure yeah, yeah. i mean this whole qa on stuff too was like people thought it was going to be like this the beginning of the end Mm -hmm. there's yeah something about end times and end of the world uh belief systems tend to catch on very easily in american culture i can't i think in every i'm not sure i can speak for other cultures i guess just because i've mostly been paying attention to um 
what's happening in the U.S. recently, but, um, yeah, I mean, QAnon, evangelical Christianity, um, yeah, I mean, e- even, uh, there's even a brand of apocalypticism uh, being tacked on to the climate change issues. Which uh, I have to say, I, yeah, I kind of take some stock in. I mean, <laughs> it's funny because uh kind of went from, you know, yes, there will be a horrible, fiery end of the world because the fire will be God's judgment to... <laughs> Oh, yes, there will be a fiery end of the world, but it is climate change. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. It's still a fiery end. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Interesting. Oh, man. That's, that's scary. <laughs> so yeah. um, what <laughs> so what job are you looking at oh i'm i'm going back to gardening it's oh like, really okay yeah i i really like it man and the be- the thing i like most about it well two things i like most about it one it's very hands-on you know i just i'm outside all day and uh weeding planting flowers and second thing is i can listen to books and podcasts and music oh, all yeah, day that's so wonderful i like i feel like i'm learning a lot too at the same yeah. time you know that's cool. um which is great yeah yeah you can learn a lot from just listening <laughs> yeah absolutely that interesting wow i mean it's funny i uh i worked this job uh for last several summers oh really um and specifically the last like half of 2018 mm-hmm. i graduated college uh like may of 2018 and um and uh then went to this gardening job and started all that audiobook listening and everything and uh during that time period, I, man, I felt like I was learning so much that it, <laughs> it was almost like, man, I feel like I'm learning more right now than I did in college. <laughs> okay. So when was the last time you smoked then? Um, uh, about a week ago, I think. Okay. Okay. So you, yeah. and were you smoking every day? Almost. I, maybe like once every, every other day or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you'll probably be good after like two two days or two weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and if you take niacin too, I don't know if you're into that or not. But niacin, if, niacin, yeah. What is it? it um, it's vitamin B. Oh, gee, I think it's B12. Let me take okay. a look here. I think it's B12. And uh, let's see, is that right? B3. It's B3. And uh, so, like, it helps reduce, like, fat and um, cholesterol. Uh Like, it's been proven fairly well, like, to take. If you take it consistently, it can um, prevent, like, heart disease. But it's, like, really hard on your liver. Um, Hmm. Or at least it's hard on your liver if you have liver issues. But anyway, so, like, um, they did studies. And, like, if you take, like, this is way too high a dose for someone to take 
uh-huh. um, safely. But if they t- if people took like thirty five hundred milligrams of uh-huh. niacin, yeah. they'd have negative drug screens, like medical ones. Interesting. Yeah, but hmm. but they have proven like if you take five hundred milligrams of niacin daily, which is like way beyond the like minimum requirement. Uh-huh. It's like way beyond it because I think the minimum is like 15 milligrams. Oh, wow. So anyway, if you take like 500 milligram capsules, mm-hmm. it's been proven to um, prevent heart or prevent or slow down the risk of heart disease. Um, and if you take it theoretically, if you take it for like a long time, like a month or so, uh-huh. you could have um, you can have like a negative urine drug test. Interesting. Actually, yeah, actually, I think the, yeah, what I usually, for this job, it's just a saliva test, so. Oh, interesting. I think it only detects, like, within the past 24 hours. If, like, it only detects THC uh, if I've had it within the last 24 hours. Um, But, you know, it was was about time for a tolerance break. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, I'm always trying to like dial in what's the, what's the optimum amount because moderation is always best. And I think it is, it is. Yeah. I think three days a week is probably the, I think that, I think you're right for me. I think you're right. I think that's probably the safest, like healthiest level and you have to spread them out maybe. Because you can't, if you smoke every day after doing that for like a week, your entire, your mind is just like foggy and you can't remember stuff and it's just not any fun. Yeah. My thing is my short term, like my working memory just gets horrible. Yeah. Short term, short term working memory. I'll, I can be at work and I'll be halfway (laughs) doing something and I will just completely blank. That's when I'm smoking a lot though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't smoked for like, I took almost like two months off, probably month and a half, maybe. Yeah. And, uh, oh my gosh, I was so much sharper. Like, yeah. I, I think I'm, I think I'm still fine right now, but I think if I, if I like were to keep smoking over the next couple of weeks uh-huh. at the rate that I smoked this week, I'm going to have a lot of issues probably. <laughs> I mean, not a lot really. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Okay, man. Uh, it was good talking with you. Yeah, it was, man. It was good catching up. All mm-hmm. um, uh till next I guess I'll till next time, man. Yeah. yeah. Okay, talk to you later, man. Okay. Bye. Uh, bye. This is the first episode of the What Comes Around podcast. It features the incomparable DN Sterzo. I met DN through a mutual friend of ours and have since then hit it off. DN and I share very similar spiritual and cultural backgrounds. Yet, D.N. spent half of his life in East Asia, whereas I spent all of my life in the Pacific Northwest. Because of this difference, we tend to be able to relate to each other, I think, much better than most people do. He almost feels like a brother to me. Unfortunately, there was a technical error or technical difficulties, I should say, at the beginning of this episode that explained what I just explained. Uh, Because of that, we kind of leave off where I'm talking about something that I believed Christians could experience, but not other 
people that were not Christian. 